I have to tell you about an amazing seed company, Pine Tree Garden Seeds. They were founded in 1979 with the simple mission of offering low prices on high quality seeds for every home gardener. They're family owned and operated, women owned and women run. Pine Tree Garden Seeds currently offers over 1,300 varieties of seeds, including many heirloom and organics with a number of unique varieties for more adventurous growers. They sell custom seed mixes with their lettuce mix of over a half dozen varieties being a top seller. They also have live roots, plant starts like berry bushes, asparagus, onions, potatoes, fig trees, dahlias, peonies, lilies, and so much more, you guys. They have a whole new selection of fall flower bulbs that I cannot get over. So here's the deal. Pine Tree Garden Seeds is so exceptional that they do germination testing throughout the year on every single seed variety they carry. It's truly next level. Check out their planting options and also their gear, specialty soils, books, and so much more. To check out their selection, go to superseeds.com with the code GARDENCULTURE24 for 20% off. That's GARDENCULTURE24 for 20% off, all linked in the show notes for you. Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Garden Culture Podcast with me, Bailey Van Tassel. Today we have an incredible guest. Her name is Ginny Urich, and she is from the movement, the website, the best-selling book, 1,000 Hours Outside. Ginny is first and foremost, absolutely hilarious. And second, she has one of the most insane memories of anyone I've ever known. She can quote authors and books and research and stories And she does just that in this episode where we talk about the scientifically proven benefits of having children outside. You don't even have to be like doing anything special, just literally outside. But we dig into so much more than that when it comes to children and nature and gardening and homeschool or traditional school, time outside, the works. Ginny's incredible and I cannot wait for you to hear her story. Let's jump in. Hello, beautiful Ginny. Hello. How are you? I'm so thrilled to be here and it's so good to see you. I likewise, I was, I'm like so excited that I got a spa on your calendar because I know how busy you are and I'm just so excited to chat with you. Your like voice and your smile alone, like make a day. You're like a ray of sunshine in a human body. So it's just exciting to like see you. You are so sweet. And I just, I love when we talked, it's been probably a year and how cool it is that you have done so much with gardening and helping people in the different spots that they're at and the seasons that they're at and the small spaces that they're in because gardening changes your life. And Mm -hmm. I have been on a path of just living in a more hands-on way. And Jill Winger talks about how uh, there's an author that talks about it alleviates depression and just using our hands and more of our brain is tied to our hands than it is even to other parts of our bodies. So anyways, I just absolutely love what you're doing. And I think about our conversation often. Oh, same. And it's, I think about you all the time. So we did start the year out, which we're going to talk about in a second, doing a thousand hours outside. And I have my little tracker and everything. Um, but to your point, Jill Winger, um, I've had her on the podcast and read her books and she's like, a dear friend. I would consider her like a mentor that doesn't know that she's a mentor, you know? Yeah. She's a mentor to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And she does um, speak so much about the science behind working with your hands and it's so good. It's so real okay. and true. And like you said, gardening changes your life. It always sounds very hyperbolic, but it's like, no, no, like I'm serious. Like Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I always yeah. thought when I before I started gardening that it was like a grandma thing. I was like, oh, I'm, when I'm retired, I'm going to like garden. And that's something, you know, like. Well, you can't wait, though. And here's why. You cannot you wait because that's I, I didn't start it because I was scared. I mm. do think that some of the terminology can be scary and you don't understand germination. And you do such a fantastic job of walking people through, which is fantastic. But I was scared from that. And then when I started Bailey, 
I realized, oh my goodness, you have to start now because depending on where you're at, you get like Michigan, you get one shot at it. Every year you get one shot and who knows how many shots you're going to get. I didn't start till I was in my 30s. So then I, I thought, oh, I lost a lot of years there of fine tuning and learning what you love. Part of it is that like I grew, so I think you pronounce it Celosia, which mm. is a flower. And it's like just this beautiful and only a couple of mine grew, but I thought, oh my goodness, I wish I would have been growing this my whole life. And straw flowers, it's just like you have to start now. For sure. And to that point, I remember hearing someone say like, uh, you know, let's say you're a potato farmer in Idaho and, you, and you've and you been doing that for 30 years. You don't have to like 30 years worth of potato growing experience. I mean, you do. You really just have like 30 tries to get it right. And imagine like, you know, if you you've talk about, I mean, you can do 30 podcast episodes in a month and these people, it takes 30 years for them to get one season, one shot to really own it. You know, when you put it in that perspective where wow. you do like have that one growing season. So Southern California, Central California, Mexico, like where we grow tons of produce, we are super lucky because I actually get to garden year round. And I would say I get three sowings. That's typically mm -hmm. how it pans out for me. It's like a spring, a summer, fall, and then like a fall, winter, um, which sounds weird because I know there are four seasons, but there tends to be like three seams that like really make sense for me. Uh -huh. um, but that doesn't mean I'm growing like, you know, sugar snap peas three times a year. I just get One. to be in like the ecology of it all and the experience of it all so much more. And, and there are pluses and benefits to it. But yeah, to your point, definitely it is something where I think it will change you physiologically, emotionally, mental mm -hmm. health wise. But that experience, like you said, what you like, what you know, to the point where you're like passing the knowledge down, like the sooner yeah. you can start and just like get your hands sturdy a little bit, obviously better. Okay. So yeah. before we digress too much, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. How do you define yourself as your life sits right now? Uh, slightly overweight mom. With lots of laundry. Shut <laughs> up right now. <laughs> no, that would be about, I'm, I think I'm nailing it. That would be my Enough. description. <laughs> it's such a funny thing I did. You know, like you go on these podcasts and they, you know, like they read your thing. You're like, best selling author. And I was like, I don't know. I'm like sitting in a mess. Let me look around. I've got, wait, I was showing you. I'm like, I've got this microphone. I probably had it for like a year and a half. This microphone that's an, a good microphone that I'm supposed to be using for podcasting. And I just haven't even like tried it. It's sitting on the floor. And I've got this telemarketer thing on. And I just think I'm just a mom. Like I'm, you know, I'm a mom that's like trying to make it through today. That's what I, mm. that's what I am. And, and, but I'm a, I'm passionate. I'm passionate about the fact that getting outside changed my whole motherhood experience. Mm. It has changed life for our children. I'm definitely passionate about gardening because it's done the same thing. And it's like, I don't even garden cool. I'm like, I'm just do flowers. Like I can't even grow, you know, like I dry, I can grow hornworms, you know, I mean, if I, if I plant some tomatoes. <laughs> You're a hornworm farmer. Same. <laughs> exactly. And they're fun to find. Those are edible, by the way. Oh, oh, their poop looks like a little corn on the cob. It's kind of fun to find. So, you know, I'm like, that's great. Whatever. I'm really passionate that life has a lot to offer. And I think Ooh. that we live in a time when a lot of our life is getting sucked out by things that really do not give us fulfillment. And I think that's why I'm here. So I started a movement called 1000 Hours Outside, you know, same as you have like got a podcast, you know, we have an app. We've got a couple books. I mean, I'm but Mostly I'm like, hey, I don't, what are we having for lunch? You know, you're so <laughs> humble and I love that you're I'm like dying. But you are I mean, you're a best selling author. You've started an insane movement that really is changing people's lives. And I do laugh from the knowledge of like I'm in the midst of writing a book right now. And it's 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 like I'm it's 430 a.m. I just had a baby rub snot all over my chest. I feel like yeah. I'm bare minimuming so many areas of my life. My I can't even feel the tile in my laundry room because there's so much laundry. So I can totally relate because it doesn't feel the way I'm sure people perceive it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a good point. Like, you know, you, we talked about right before we started and this is, I think it pertains to gardening. It pertains to how we do our life. Like you were saying, I wish I had because people do, but they, I'm the same way. They put these really cool videos of their 
podcast interviews. And actually behind my camera, on my computer, I do have like a, <laughs> I have a camera set up, but it's just sitting there. I've never used it. Ooh. And you were talking about how, you know, it's like, it'd be cool if I had this, but you just have to start. And yeah. that's the same with gardening. I think if you wait and you're a grandma, you are going to be so sad. I got chills when you said the 30 tries 30 years. Right. Is where you get one, you know, for a lot of people, depending on your zone, you get one shot a year to see what you like and what grows easy where you're at, maybe in your soil. I mean, there's a lot of things to figure out. And I really also like the phrase bare minimuming. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there we go. You know, you just have to do it. But I feel like it actually reminds me of your origin story where early on in motherhood, which led you to 1000 hours outside, you were feeling super overwhelmed and nature was basically like the antidote. And I don't actually even want to say nature. You weren't like deep in nature. You were just outside. Like literally, you're like at a park outside. And, yeah. you know, because I think sometimes people get so precious about it and they're like, I'm going to put on my linen apron and get my foraging basket. And like, listen, I your girl loves a foraging basket and like a bespoke gown. But most days when I'm with my kids trying to be in nature, I'm just like, making up weird games with clovers trying to like not fall asleep at the wheel. And I think, but I think I would love to hear you tell that story again, especially from the perspective of you have older kids now. Um, I do. They were really little when this, when your whole life changed. So I would love to hear that that story again. Well, yeah, we're, we're over a decade into living a certain way and been outside for more than 10,000 hours, which is pretty cool. That's like Mm. that Malcolm Gladwell number. But listen, yes. I was an awful I was an awful mom out the gate. And the issue <laughs> is that I was not expecting to be an awful mom. I was mm. expecting to be tremendous. I like I like kids. And I've always liked kids. So I thought, oh, no, no worries. This is gonna be fine. And my friend I you know, I was a little bit like, how are we gonna fill the day? I was a teacher. I taught like up until Friday. And then Monday I went into the hospital. It's like Everything, you know, you have a whole mm. birth plan. I mean, it was a mess from the beginning, right, Bailey? Like, I had the birth plan. It was printed out. It was probably like in gold lettering. And mm. then I had preeclampsia. I'm like collecting my pee in a jug. And I don't remember, you know, I'm like, what, the, what? what is happening here? You know, and then you go in and they, they do all these interventions in a balloon and, a, you know, they're mm. trying to break the water. And actually for my first son, they like hooked his head. I mean, he came out with like little Mm-mm. scabs. I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh. You know, this is a it's a mess from the beginning. Yeah. I'm like, my birth plan, I don't even know where it ended up. They probably like burnt it. Lit it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> lady is a mess. So, Labor you know, and delivery nurse was like, let this be a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I think from the beginning, it's like, it's really this thing of like, you lose control. And I was like, oh, well, at some point I'll get it back. But you know, my oldest is 15 and you, you don't, you, I don't, you do not, it does not come back to you. That sense of like, I've got a fair amount of control over my life. So you have to learn to do things that bring you joy, like gardening and using your hands and loving life and kind of mitigate that. But at the beginning, so I'm expecting to be this amazing mom. And I just was like, thrown into the ringer and I hated it. I'm saying Mm. that. I don't, I did not like it. I felt like I was failing 24 seven and I could not figure it out. And I tried to do a schedule. Like I had a whole thing, like in my mind, I was like the eight o'clock time block and the 10 10 a.m. time. (laughs) I had a whole thing. It was like some sort of book and my friends had done it and it was like, they all do it. Eat, activity, sleep, eat. I was Mm. like, I can do that. And I was like, but the baby didn't want to. So, Jesus, so all, the, all he would do was like the eat part. I mean, he didn't do any of the sleep, mm, nothing. Mm. So you're kind of like thrown into this blender. I feel like you're just like, it's like a hurricane. <laughs> like what? I, I don't even know. I'm like up at 3.30 a.m. You're exhausted. It's so hard. It is so hard to have a, a baby. <laughs> I, just, I just have to say. So it anyway. Is. I was struggling and I was bummed that I was struggling because I wanted to love it and I didn't love it. So that's the situation I'm in. I signed up for all sorts of classes and things because that's what everybody else was doing. But to get a child to a class and 
it's like you got your Hercules. I mean, it's like you got these, you know, what these buckets and you got to buckle everyone in and my kids will cry as soon as they're buckled, then they're screaming. And then you've got the diaper bag and you have three types of diapers and everybody wants to nurse and they have different snacks. And this one just threw up and that one blew out their diaper and you forgot the library books. And the program is only 45 minutes and you get there and you're nursing and your boob is hanging out. And like, you know, your other kid is fighting with another kid over toys and that one doesn't want to listen to the story and you're trying to feed a raisin. And it's just like a mess. And I, I don't know. I wouldn't even drink water. My, you know, my whole like early childhood, I wouldn't even drink water because I would think, Bailey, what if I have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> like truly in a public place, like what are you mm-hmm. supposed to do with your children? They have sometimes they have like seats in there. I'm mm-hmm. like, but does people really put there? And what if you have more than one kid? I'm like, I can't even, I don't even know how I would pee. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the spot I'm in life. So I'm like, you know, I was like, I have a master's degree. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't even figure out how I would pee if I had to at the library. So anyway, this is the life I'm living. And I struggled with it because I just it was every day. It's relentless. It doesn't end. There's never a break from it. And we have family that's lovely, but like our, my kids were so clingy. I was awful. Anyway, so then I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. You know, you go to this event, you use every effort of your being, and then it's like 11 a.m. Uh, what? I'm like, I still have eight hours before my husband comes home. So this is how I was living. <laughs> and then I went to MOPS, which is now called MomCo. And MOPS is another yeah. one of those programs supposed to be like this blessed place where you drop your kids off at the childcare and you get like an hour and a half with moms and there's breakfast but my kids would always cry some reason they were like obsessed with me i'm like (laughs) i am not i am not obsessed with me why are you so obsessed obsessed with you i get it and they're crying and i'm like trying to juggle my babies and like try and have a friend so i'm at mops and my friend who this is not a homeschool thing but she had been researching homeschooling and just education and she came to Mops and she said one day, she said, Charlotte Mason says kids should be outside for four to six hours whenever the weather is tolerable. So I didn't know who Charlotte Mason was. I've never heard of her. But Bailey, she's from the 1800s. <laughs> and my friend did not say that. So I was like thinking this is someone's current. Like, I know people named Charlotte. And I thought <laughs> in my mind, I thought, well, that's like, that's a ridiculous outlandish idea. Like who would ever take their kid out for four hours? Like, have you been to the library for 40 minutes? I'm like, you feel yeah. like you're going to die. And then you're, <laughs> what are you going to do for for like so much longer, four hours? And so I was thinking that this idea is stupid. And then she said, well, would you like to try it? And I was like thinking, no, like, of of course not. I am not putting myself through that. And then <laughs> I wanted to have friends, though. So I agreed. I was like, OK, sure. You know, and then she says, Bailey, like, we're not supposed to bring anything like we're supposed to bring food and a blanket. And I'm mm. thinking, well, like, oh, yeah. And yes. And like Play-Doh and crafts mm. and my water table, probably mm-hmm. the train set, some balls. <laughs> I'll bring, you know, our library books, mm-hmm. right? Like all this stuff. She was like, no. And so I'm thinking this is going to crash and burn. And the story is in 2011, it's been over a decade. I had a three-year-old, a one-year-old and a babe in arms. Mm. And I met at a plain old park in Farmington, Michigan that had grass. There was not a play structure. It was grass. You went over this little bridge. And there was a very shallow creek bed with the ducks. And I showed up thinking this is going to be the worst day of my life with my blanket and my food. And we set out our stuff. And I tell people that it was the best day of my life because after three years, it was the first good day I had as a mom. Mm, it gives me and chills. And I had one. I mean, I'm, I tear up about it still. And I tell this story all the time. And I tell it this the same way. It's not like my body should be surprised mm. by it. But I had not had a good day and I so Mm. wanted to enjoy motherhood. And what happened was I finally got to catch my breath and Mm. I finally got to let my blood pressure drop because what happened was in this beautiful fall day in Michigan, we spread out our blankets and our older two kids, we each had two that were older, preschool, toddler. They just ran around in this safe, grassy area. And I don't know what they did. I have no idea how they occupied themselves for that amount of time. They just did and they would come back and get food and the babies would nurse and sleep and I got to have a full conversation Bailey I mean you don't ever get to have a full conversation when you got little children they're interrupting constantly 
And I felt like Mother Nature mothered my kids. It's like I had another mother and mothered me because we need that. We're so overwhelmed. So it started there, although I had no idea. I had no idea. It was just an impetus for life change that happened immediately where I changed what we were doing with these smaller programs. And instead, we would go outside for these larger periods of time, bring some food, a couple friends. And what I have learned and started to learn then and over the past decade is that when we allow our children to play outside, when you let them dig around in the garden, when you let them do whatever it is that draws their attention, that interests them, what seems worthy. You do not have to be coming up with a scavenger hunt or, you know, matching the color to the paint. I mean, people, and these things are fine, but you do not have to do that. This is helping our kids academically, which is so wild. It's actually helping their cognition, their neural wiring. It's helping their social skills, which is so unbelievably important in a world where they're going to have a lot of different jobs, rubbed shoulders with a lot of different people. It helps them emotionally. It's helping us too, right? And it's helping their physical bodies. We're talking about like serotonin and melatonin. We're talking about like light, light in the morning, bright light. Kids are supposed to experience bright light and they're supposed to experience darkness. All of these bodily rhythms, we're talking about eyesight, like myopia, the lymphatic system. Mm. Katie Bowman says osteoporosis is a childhood disease that shows up in adulthood. Wow. Kids are meant to jump and land and have impact on their skeletal system. So all of these things are benefits to our kids. They're benefits to us simply by going outside. I have the body chills and I've also heard this story before (laughs) and it's just so remarkable. The first thing I want to point out is I feel like when you tell someone, if you're like, I'm going to have literally nothing for a one-year-old and a three-year-old to do it will give you the shivers because you're like, that's the age they do seem so dependent on you for entertainment. And it's like, I I think most people agree it's good for your kids to be bored. Anecdotally, they're like, yeah, 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 totally. But no one actually wants to stomach having to like administer the boredom. Um, And that just goes to show that even at that tiny age, when they are left to their own devices, like it is magical to step back and just watch a kid stare at a roly poly for 45 minutes if you just let them. And I think yeah, that is yeah, so when so you won't play with your Play-Doh, like you made your homemade Play-Doh and you added in bits of wildflowers and you put in <laughs> them essential oils and it smells like lavender and it's all over your floor in six minutes and then they're off to throwing your sensory bin chickpeas <laughs> everywhere yeah. and are like, Nothing lasts, but when you take them outside, and those are my favorite videos because I get tagged in a lot of things. People Mm. send me stuff. It's really sweet. My favorite ones, because you are desperate. My Mm. favorite ones are the one-year-olds who are picking up the clump of dirt and dropping it on their leg and picking it Mm. up and dropping it on their leg. And and you just see it. It's like 15 seconds of this. Rem- it's remarkable mm-hmm. that they actually do have a fairly long attention span mm-hmm. in the right context. And that nature is providing for them those building blocks that they need to grow. And for you as a parent, like this is how it's supposed to be to get mm-hmm. a break. Okay. So I want to ask you about something because I've observed this in my own life with my husband and I who are like, you know, we got more, more issues than a math test as individuals, not together. I think we actually... God somehow knew we needed each other because it's like mm-hmm. the balance is good. But we're, it takes so much. Okay, hypothetical. So we go to the beach. We live near the beach. And I feel like we want to leave after 45 minutes, but we miss out on like the flow state because I think it actually takes, I'm curious if you have any knowledge on this when it comes to the amount of time. Because I I noticed when we push through like okay, we kind of want to leave, like we're uncomfortable and everyone's kind of like hasn't settled in. But if we push through to like the 90 minute mark, I feel like everyone starts to get into a flow. It's like you have to stay a certain amount of time and then you really start to see the benefit and then it becomes easier to like make it to the four or five, six hour mark outside. Is there any, mm-hmm. like, is that, am, am I just crazy or is yeah, there no, like it's a, a thing? thing? It's in a book. It is literally a thing, Bailey. So what's interesting is it is 45 minutes. Mm. So the book is Balanced and Barefoot. I think it's a mm. book that every family should own and teachers should read. It's by Angela Hanscom, who is a pediatric occupational therapist. So she was on the front lines mm. of seeing the 
decline of skills in children. The book is absolutely phenomenal. You read it. You read it now. Like if you're pregnant with your first baby, you read it now. I mean, she talks about how nature is so important in the first year of life. Like get it for your friend for their baby shower. So balanced and barefoot. And she says it can take up to 45 minutes for a child to develop a play scheme longer if they're not used to it. Mm. And I think less time if you're with friends. So if mm. you've got a group of friends that's getting together and there's a bunch of new little kids, it might like if, but if your kids are just with their siblings, it, it's going to take a bit for them mm-hmm. to settle in. And then you hit that threshold and you know, you do know as a family, it's going to be a certain number. And so you just say, this is what I say, like if the kids complaining about being bored, you just say it's okay to be bored because you know that eventually they're going to hit the other side of that. And then you're going to get maybe a little bit of a chance to have a conversation with your husband Mm -hmm. when normally you wouldn't because things are so chaotic in the home. For sure. And I feel like because I've, I've been through this season where we're like 45 minutes and we're out. And then you're kind of just like, well, that sucked. Um, But then I've been on the other side of it where you push through. And that's when I feel like you are able to literally manipulate time as a mother, where I start to see like, okay, time has stopped. We are all so present. And I feel like everything naturally just gets put into its place in like the time space continuum where it's like, Dishes are not that urgent. Like dinner will happen when the kids are hungry. It's like you reset with the rhythm of nature's day, like the circadian rhythm. And it becomes so much easier to live in alignment because time takes care of itself, if that makes sense. And it sounds a little Mm -hmm. woo-woo the way I'm describing it, but I feel like there is something to this where once you've pushed through that 45 minutes of discomfort and just kind of like everyone's kind of feeling weird and itchy, then you get into the rhythm and then it's just, I don't know, peace. That's that's when the peacefulness sets in. And I feel like you can get perspective. You can be present. You don't, you know, you're just, the kids get into this flow state and that's when like the mud pies are being made and like the exploration happens. And that, to your point, you get to breathe as a parent, but it, I think it also helps you realign and reevaluate what matters over the course of the rest of our day. It helps you like regulate, I guess. I have to keep singing their praises with Pine Tree Garden Seeds. In addition to their great variety and options, plus the due diligence on germination, they're really meticulous about sustainability from the shipping envelope to the seed collection boxes. Pine Tree Garden Seeds are really passionate about the environment as well as caring for all levels of gardener, from backyard growers to herbalists to cut flower bouquet hobbyists. They're really caring and love to give support when it comes to helping you avoid germination issues and pest issues but also in helping you maximize your harvests. Pine Tree Garden Seeds has resources, supplies, and experts available to help home growers get the most out of their gardens. To check out their selection, go to superseeds.com with the code GARDENCULTURE24 for 20% off, all linked in the show notes for you. Right, and I think that possibly you could go an entire childhood or at least an entire early childhood and not even know that that's a possibility. I think that someone listening might think, I would have thought that. Like when I had a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and a six-month-old before we gone outside, I would have thought, wait a minute, like this period of time where you're like not staring at the clock. I mean, like, okay, my husband's going to be home in three hours. My (laughs) husband's going to be home in two hours and 42 minutes. Like where you just get to be present and time Mm -hmm. takes care of itself and you have young, busy, needy children. Like you think like there's no way you're just running ragged, running ragged. But it happens and you just have to give it enough time to get there. But I think to your point, most American activities are 45 minutes or less. The swim Mm -hmm. lesson, the little kicker soccer, the music class, the play date. They're so short. Even people go to the playground, you know, they slot it in for 45 minutes. And it's like, no, you have to be able and willing sometimes, not all the time, because people don't necessarily have a two hour block of time all the time. But sometimes on the weekend, in the evening, where you were just going to set it aside for that, and then you get to melt into it a little bit. Mm. Okay, so with the little kids, and I'm thinking pre-five, I feel like we own their time a lot more. Now, you guys homeschool, and I don't know if we'll have time to dig into it because I, I want to hear your perspective on it. But for someone like, uh, like the traditional sub- suburban family where their kids are in school school and their kids are older... Talk to me about what that looks like. So, well, I guess I want to back up a little bit. So how did you come up with the 1,000 hours outside 
sort of concept in general? Was that just calculating like Charlotte Mason's sort of prescription for kids being outside? So what happened was back in 2011, we changed our lifestyle and I lived that way for two years. And in Michigan, which we're in Metro Detroit, it's populated. We never ran into another child. So we're outside the small group of friends on little trails at little parks all over this Metro Detroit area. And we're only running into grandparents. It's like there are not kids. And so I thought I'm going to write about this because it's been so life changing for me as a person and for my kids. And I had read a book by Dr. Scott Sampson called How to Raise a Wild Child, where he said at that point, the average child was outside for four to seven minutes a day, but on screens for four to seven hours. Mm. And so I was just thinking about how it's such an imbalance. And so I just added up, like talking about a math test. I was curious after reading his statistics, I was curious about how much time we were spending outside. And we had this little nature group and we got together three-ish times a week. It was like 18 to 20 hours on average each week. We were outside more in the summer, spring and fall, less in the winter in Michigan, but you know, on average. And it was 1,200 hours a year, Bailey. And at that time in 2013, that was the amount of time kids were on screens. It was almost like one to one. And I thought like, not we are not against screens. Like our kids have iPads and we have a, a PlayStation thing. And, you know, our kids like it. They ask to play video games. They want to play video games with their friends. They want to FaceTime. But I thought, what if those 1200 hours had gone towards screen activities? Like how less full would her life have been? Mm. And so I thought, the number comes from this Charlotte Mason, a mix of Angela Hanscom, who says three hours a day, ideally for all ages, but not everyone can get outside for three hours a day. That's impractical. Like you're talking about doctor's appointments and school and homework and different things and just balancing out this virtual life with real life. So it was a mix of those three things to say, look, if I can shoot for getting outside in a year for about a thousand hours. And some people do less. They've got split custody of their kids. They have these different situations. I honestly, I don't totally care the number. The number is research back. But you're going to say, look, I'm shooting to get outside for 400 hours. That's going to change your life. Mm -hmm. It's going to change your life. And you're going to have a more fulfilled life because of it at the end. You're going to have stronger family relationships. You're going to have kids that are developmentally doing really well because all of this stuff matters for their development. And by having a goal, you pay more attention to it, you celebrate it more, and you might stay a little bit longer. Whereas, like you're talking about, instead of, you know, shuffling your kids back into your minivan, you might say, look, you know, uh, we're going to stick around for another 45 minutes, another hour, Mm -hmm. and know that that is a worthy use of your time. Mm. And I think that is the point too, knowing that's a worthy use of your time. I think we think it doesn't matter or we don't have, well, and what I've noticed too, like, so you guys have all these beautiful trackers that you can like download on the 1000 hours. Is it, it's 1000hours.com. Yeah. 1000 hours outside. 1000hoursoutside.com. Yep. There you go. 1000hoursoutside.com. And I downloaded like this pretty tree stump one. And I noticed how and it gamifies it, right? The gamification of the thing where I'm just like, yeah. okay, we did three hours today. We did now I'm like, oh, okay. It's very, very achievable for me to have the kids outside for three hours, especially because we're in Southern California. Um, And so then you start really feeling like that needs to be the standard. And when the kids, when you start to realize like the day is just going kind of haywire, it's like, oh, wait a second, go outside. (laughs) Like, and, and, and and it's like, it's not like, you know, my husband and I joke, like our parents were like, go outside. Like we're locking the doors, like just because they didn't want us like in the house being crazy. But there was actually something to that. And when you track it, it helps you refocus around that. It does really, really help to write it down. Um, And I do feel like it just is, like you said, it's science backed. So at at this point in time, there's really no debating whether it's good or not. But I think it helps you rest easy in making a good, easy choice, a free, good, easy choice. And like you said, it doesn't have to be going to some elaborate park or even doing a crazy hike. It's literally just being outside. Um, yeah, and there is. I mean, I think that's a good point that you bring up, Bailey. There is no debating. The research on play and especially nature play is so unbelievably deep and strong. I mean, we could talk for days and days about yeah, yeah. how beneficial it is, but it doesn't feel that way. And mm, there's yeah. something it doesn't about feel like you're doing it. anything. You're like, is this real? 
Yes, yes. And culturally, you feel like what you should be doing is building the resume for the college, which includes all of the lessons and all of the extracurriculars. And it's actually opposite of what the research says. But for whatever reason, it just feels it, it like it doesn't really make sense. Uh, mm-hmm. well, it's hard. For sure. And I think we, our generation of parents has so much conditioning because I, I just don't think the traditional route was even questioned. Now there's so much in question. There's so much information. There are so many different studies. But I think at least, I don't know, when I was growing up, me and my friends, it was just kind of like there was a status quo and that wasn't deviated from. It wasn't really questioned. Um, and people were just kind of, you know, doing the 80s. They were just trying to like do Wall Street or whatever. But it's like, I don't know. I just think it's very interesting how ingrained in it, how ingrained we are in our beliefs. So you chose to homeschool the kids. Was that from the get-go and like due to making sort of this lifestyle change? It was from the get-go, but it wasn't because of 1,000 hours outside. It was because of time. And in our area, I was a public school teacher. (laughs) Here we go. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I'm saying the things. All right. No, say, honestly, honestly, I love it. So I was, a, I was a public school teacher. And so the high school that I taught at was so unbelievably vulgar. And I just throw that um, out there. So I didn't have a classroom because the school was overcrowded. And I had a cart with all my things. I was a new teacher. I was 22. And I'm like 5'2". So I just had my cart and I fit in, right? I'm, You know, you're young. You kind of just look like everyone else. So no one had a filter. Um, and I was hallway for every passing time. And I used to think if a parent would come just for like a couple of days and stand here against the wall and listen to what these kids are talking about and what everyone is exposed to, I don't think they would ever even consider sending their children back. So mm-hmm. I'm just throwing that out there as my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we don't really know what's going on and we kind of just in our mind r- rosy it up. <laughs> and it's not, it was not very rosy. And, and we're talking bullying, we're talking vulgarity, we're just talking about just so much pressure. So that's where I was. But the last year in before I became a mom and stayed home, I was an administrator where I was helping make sure that like every second grade class in the entire district did the same test. So like school used to be more autonomous. Like teachers had a lot of autonomy and they could do different things. And I think that had started to change. This is in 2008. So in 2008, I'm helping in this administrative way. And it was the same year that kindergarten went from half day to full day. And it's such a wild mm. thing that, you know, like 15 years ago, the norm was at kindergarten, you, you're home by lunch or you go in the afternoon and that I was, was it. I was just talking to someone about this because I have a kindergartner and I'm like, the day is too long. And I'm re- yes. I'm regretful, to be honest, of sometimes often, which is like, red flags for me because we're kind of, I don't know, I'm always sort of considering what I'm doing with the kids at school. Um, it's too long. Yes. And they that, don't that get, was my reason. They don't even get to nap because and then reconvene. Here's, it's just all Here's day. why, Bailey. So because I was in this administrative role, I was in all of these meetings with all of the kindergarten teachers that were deciding what are we going to do with this extra half of a day? And all of the kindergarten teachers, Bailey, were like unanimous. Like they were all saying the kids are going to need a nap. They're going to need, a, we're going to have to bring back Playstations, which to me, that's like what kindergarten was. There was like a reading corner and there was a place with dolls and there was a place with blocks and there was a place with easel, art easels. Like to me, kindergarten are these little stations where whatever interests you, you can go do your little thing and you have your, you know, your orange, you have an orange and you sit on the carpet while they read a story and then you go play on the playground and then you go home for lunch and it's, and it's over. So I didn't even know that they had gotten rid of PlayStations and they had. So the teachers were saying, nap and bring back the PlayStations. These kids need to play. And what ended up happening was none of that. Mm-hmm. The entire second half of the day went toward academics. And where I lived, the bus came at eight in the morning and didn't get back until 445 in the afternoon with exhausted children. And that's why we made our decision. And I tell you what, it's the best decision we've ever made. We're not very good at making decisions. So mm. I I do not regret one second of it. Mm. I love that. That's so it's like making me feel emotional because 
uh, there's so many, they're just, I like to call them inconvenient truths where I feel like when it comes down to it, I, so many people just don't want to be inconvenienced or they don't want to face the music on the reality of the situation because it's hard or it feels yeah. unnatural. You feel like you're not going to be good I at it. Tell you though, my, my life and, and I think this is the thing about it. Like what we're talking about here is we're talking about things that don't make sense. We're talking about starting a podcast when you don't actually have the right equipment. We're talking about, you know, playing when you could be signing your kids up for all of these different things. It doesn't make any sense that keeping your kids home could make your life better, but it does. It does. Like my life, it makes me emotional. Like my life is so enhanced by this time I've had with my children. And I just, what it's what's so cool is you grow together. I just talked to this woman named Dr. Aliza Pressman and she wrote a book called The Five Principles of Parenting. But mm. she had these sentences in her book that were like, every day you get a chance to, you know, work on calming your nervous system because kids, you know, <laughs> kids are hard. It, but she wrote it in such a beautiful way that you're like, wait a minute, I have never looked at, you know, like my fussy whining kids as like this amazing opportunity to grow as a person. <laughs> but, but it is that. Yeah. And there is something about it, it's interesting because I occasionally, you know, I still get together with friends that their kids are in school and they complain about a lot of things. They complain about the teachers. They complain about their lack of control. They complain about, you know, the conferences and they <laughs> and I just sit there. Like, and then eventually they look at me and they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so, you know, yeah, I don't know. No, I think that's so beautiful. I mean, I'm in my mind. I'm like, mm, how many, what, how, where do I want to take this? Because I'm like, okay, Bailey, reserve personal let's, questions let's for personal about, questions. This is, yeah. This, okay. This isn't necessarily about homeschooling, but just talk about life. People around the world do 1000 hours outside in every walk of life. So mm. there's going to be people listening there like, look, I cannot homeschool. This is my situation. Mm -hmm. This is not about that. This is about just prioritizing yeah. downtime. That's what it's about. Oh. And so you brought up older kids. And I think yes. this is an important thing because when we think about play, a lot of times we think about little kids and we don't even we can't even really envision what that looks like as kids get older. And I want to say this. When you parent, things are always in flux. Like you learn one part of parenting. Like, you know, you're like, I am so good at potty training. I am so good at cloth diapers. Like I know how to strip them. I know how to whatever. And then you're like, then you don't have to, you, then you're like, you're giving them away to someone else. Like, you know, mm. you have these parts of parenting that you need, like you, like I got a picky eater. I figured out how to put, you know, peas in the brownies, whatever, whatever it is. You yeah. like learn all these things. And then they change and you're like, oh, that stinks because I was really good at that thing. And now there's something else. But getting outside works literally for the entirety of your life. It works for your newborn who's going to love to look at the leaves that are rustling. And it's like nature's mobile and who's not crying because they are hearing noises in the breeze and all of that. It's going to work. But it's going to work for your 15 year old who is dealing with being bullied, who is struggling with, you know, all of these different social things, because it's going to give them an opportunity to unwind. And kids, as they get older, they just specialize in different things. So they might like to skateboard or they like to shoot baskets. So this has just gotten more fun. Mm -hmm. When I was starting out, it was like, what am I doing outside? I'm carrying three kids and pushing the stroller with my elbow that has all of our food and blankets on it. You know, <laughs> that's what we're doing. And, and it's mm. good. But now what am I doing? I'm like running after my kids down these trails that lead to rocks that you can jump off of into Lake Superior. You know, mm. we're going on whitewater rafting trips. We are doing these things that are like Bailey, they're incredible. Hmm. And because our kids have this foundation of adventure, the sky really? is the limit. Like we went canyoneering and rappelling. I went with my daughter in the summer. I mean, these are things I would have never done. Um, never. And so it's like we've swapped places. Whereas I was leading the way and carrying everyone. Now it's like metaphorically, they're carrying me on yeah. the adventures that entice them. And so it looks like you know, we're not spending a ton of time on homework. So if we were in school, there are books like Ready or Not by uh, Madeline Levine and this other one by, oh gosh, I always forget the title. Um, it's called Reset Your Child's Brain. This is it by Dr. Victoria Dunkley. She says she writes prescriptions that says, no, mm. my kids, no homework, no homework. 
Like you had them for eight hours. That's enough. We're, we are not coming home and spending that time on homework. So, yeah. you know, for older kids, you know, I, you're fudging it a little bit. And um, younger kids, too. It's like, look, if they're in second grade, John Taylor Gatto is a, a I'm talking so much. I love it. That's, that's why kind of we're, the, that's why that we're here. Kind of the, <laughs> that's the point of this. John Taylor Gatto is a public school teacher, uh, New York, 30 years. He passed recently, but he was like mm. state teacher here, this phenomenal teacher. And he has said several times in his book, and it's well-researched, that at the right age and stage, kids only need less than 100 contact hours to learn functional literacy, which is mm. reading, writing, and enough arithmetic to learn anything you would ever want to learn after that. Mm. Less than 100 contact hours at the right age and stage. That is three weeks of school. That's amazing. So obviously that's not enough. You know, we don't just... <laughs> But, but the point is, is like, look, if they're in school eight hours a day, seven hours a day for 13 years, they don't also need homework. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. I mean, I, yeah, I know. It's like, I feel embarrassed, I guess, even like my kindergartner has homework. I mean, and it's, it's not every day. It's like once a week they yeah. have like, you know, stuff to work on at home. And I think some of it's to like condition the parents. Like you guys are right. going to have to get ready to absorb this and do this which is interesting. But I think the biggest struggle we see too alongside, you know, many other things is just a resistance when they're so young because they're not designed to be sitting inside for so long, you know, kind of like you're saying, right. like they need more outside time. And, right. and like, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Okay. So I've read those books, right? And I'm like, I read those books about waiting like in the Waldorf schools they don't even start mm. teaching reading until age seven when the adult teeth are coming in mm. so I read the book and I was like "Ooh, this is this makes me feel nervous but but we did so we waited till our kids were seven and okay right you're feeling like a little bit edgy about it but I had read this book by John Holt that said young kids can learn to read write investigate the world and do math without being taught Mm. I was like, mm, I don't know about this, but we Coming have five from a kids. teacher. You're when like, you, please. <laughs> yeah. Right. When you have five kids, like you have like a, you can experiment a little bit. Right. So yeah. I'm like, OK, for the first four kids, we learned to read at seven. I use this workbook thing called Teach Your Kids to Read in 100 Lessons. It worked for everyone. And I was like, you know what? I've got this fifth kid and I know I can fall back <laughs> on this workbook. <laughs> I'm going to give it. I want to get and I want to tell you, Bailey, that my youngest child is seven years old. And she can read Bernstein Bear books and she can read The Magic Tree House. And I never taught her. That's amazing. So here's the other question I have for you, because my husband and I were just talking about this too, because I know you'll have the answer. We are talking about like, there are so many issues. Obviously, I think like the American diet and the food system and pharma is like a whole thing. And I don't want to get like canceled from the world and have some, I feel like like men in black is going to show up at my door, you know, if you like. (laughs) talking if you like use certain words but we're like why are so many like all of a sudden these sensory issues are huge for kids and behavioral issues are are, you know and we're seeing you much wider prevalence of just um neurological disorders and um like chronic illness and things like that and in my mind i'm wondering if the outside component, like you were saying, osteoporosis is a childhood disease experience in adulthood because they're not getting that input, which sounds really similar to like OT talk when it's like, okay, your kids, their you know, vestibular system or whatever. I'm curious what you've learned about that. Well, that Balanced and Barefoot book, that is the entire premise of Angela Hanscom's book. And she goes through all of it. She goes through all of those things and she talks about how like the wait list for occupational therapy services all of a sudden was like a year long. And she was like, what what's going on here? And that is a lot of what she concluded was and hers is not about the food. And I do think I mean, my midwife talks about that quite a bit that, you know, obviously there's way more chemicals. We're dealing with an onslaught of a lot more things than kids bodies used to have to deal with. So that's a whole separate conversation. It is a conversation. You talk to my midwife, have her on. <laughs> She'll yeah. talk about all of those things. But Angela Hanscom's book is about all of those things, like the sensory things, because your kids are meant, like if if you think about centuries past, like no one was inside because mm-hmm. inside was dark. 
Mm-hmm. Inside was hot or cold or or whatever it is. Inside was boring. Even when we were kids, like you talked about, I thought was so interesting, Bailey. You talked about as a kid, your parents would just lock you out. And the, I remember that as a kid, like my parents didn't do that, but the neighbors did because if your kids are inside and you only have a certain amount of toys and there's no screens because screens are only on at certain times, mm-hmm. there's only... Saturday morning cartoons or like Saved by the Bell from 4 to 4.30. Like, that's it. Like, everyone's getting at each other's throats and everyone's fighting. And so the parents are like, get out of here, right? Mm-hmm. And and so kids had all sorts of sensory experiences just built into their lives. And people just did not live inside as much as they do now. Yeah. And so you can have kids that are just not spending any time with the elements. Like, even they say like the what's in the dirt you're yeah, supposed yeah, the to microbes. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. All right, let's talk about this. This is disgusting, but interesting. So Joel Salton, he's one of my favorite people. Oh, he's the uh, best. He's at Polyface Farms. Absolutely. I've gotten to speak with him, Stop. which has just been like the highlight of my entire, yes, the yeah. highlight of my entire life. And his books have changed my life. I love mm-hmm. every single one. He just wrote a new one called Homestead Tsunami. And he was talking mm-hmm. in that book about how, oh, it's so good. It's so good. All of his books are good. Like, everything I want to do is illegal. The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. Like, these are some of my favorite books ever. Yes. Homestead Tsunami is fantastic. He talks in that book about how he loves to have small assaults. That's what he calls them. Small assaults on his immune system. He loves to get cut by the thorn bush. He loves mm. to, you know, you know, bang his finger. He loves, and here's what he said. He drinks out of the cow trough on a regular basis. He says, I don't slurp any, any snot, but he says, I drink because small assaults on your immune system yeah. build things up. And so like when kids are touching things that feel yucky and all that, it's like building up their resilience. And so mm. if this is a, a conversation that's interesting to these topics, it's all in Angela Hanscom's book, Balance mm-hmm. of Barefoot. She okay. all okay. the things, the censoring, the behavioral, the illness, a lot. And I'm going to read that immediately. I know I should call. I'm. Get her on the line. Angie, Angie, Joel, what's up? Well, no. So I, my parents talked about this. I grew up on a small hobby farm and my mom actually tells these stories, but like I used to anecdotally be like, oh my God, I'd be playing like in the horse pasture with the horses with like rusty horseshoe nails and then come inside and I'd be like playing. I used to call worms Kermin the worm. I don't know why. And then as I got older, I remember distinctly because I had little hands, obviously as a child, I think I was probably, I want to say like, 10 or 11, we lived way out in the boonies with this water line and salamanders, if it stormed, would get, they would like, the water line would break and we'd see mud come out the faucets. I'd have to hike like two miles in my stepdad size 15 boots and I'd be up there soaking wet with my mom and I'd have to pull salamanders out of this water line and reattach it to the pump. And, you know, there's these... (laughs) My life is Bailey, so you different know, you now. You told me that story. I you did. You told me that story. I think it was your answer to the question of what is one of your favorite childhood experiences outside. Shut and up. That I told answer. you that story. I feel like I've okay. never told wow. that to anybody. Because you were oh the God. hero. You were the hero. You would yeah. go up. You were the only one who could do it. You did. I'm going to go back and listen. Oh because my gosh. I totally know that story. And I think that, that was your so answer. Crazy. Because oh my it gosh. was so impactful yeah. for you. Well, and clearly it was, but because it, it, you're right. I was sort of even begrudgingly sort of the hero. Um, and it's so different than how things are now, but it is, it, I mean, we, we like, had so do, like literally who would do that today? Who would be like, Hey, little, whatever, Annie. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I and also, <laughs> but um like no, we're is... doing homework that's that's what we're doing in yeah the oh, why don't i call the water gymnastics. company to come do it for us yeah. because you know yeah. but i it is that we were exposed to so much dirt and ick and whatever yeah. um and it just wasn't a big deal but it was unique to my family because i did have kids that lived in like the fancy part of town that had you know, carpet in the house and and vacuums running. And that wasn't normal for them. And I felt like yeah. that sterilization is so yeah. unnecessary. I interviewed someone on the podcast here from a company called eCloth and they have those like microfiber cloths where it's like, we actually don't need to be like sanitizing our countertop. Yeah. You're cutting meat on a cutting board and you should wash that for sure. But like, we don't need to be spraying chemicals. We don't need to be anti, you know, whatever in our hands 24-7. Like, 
we need to actually be building it up. But to your point, when you do dig in the soil, the microbes that are released that you mm-hmm. that you inhale release they release serotonin in your brain. And that's part of why gardening is so good for you is there's a chemical reaction mm-hmm. to nature that's positive for us, which I feel like people mm-hmm. also, you know, and that's similar to just kids being out in the dirt, why it's so good, you know? Oh, absolutely. And when you go out in the morning and you're exposed to morning light, which obviously in California is going to be great. Here in Michigan, it's like completely gray. It's February mm. 1st. I mean, we're not going to see sun for a while, but it doesn't even matter. It's mm. so much brighter than what you would experience inside and you can measure it with a light meter. It doesn't mm. matter. And and so that, that light goes right through your eye, straight to your brain and your body releases serotonin. And so you have like happy kids in the morning. Yeah. You're happy. The serotonin turns into melatonin, which yeah. helps your kids fall asleep at night. So all of this is science-backed, and it's very important. I just talked to this man named Paul Bogard, who wrote a book called The End of Night, and he was talking about the correlation of melatonin, that melatonin yeah. is a cancer suppressor. Mm. There's a correlation. I was like, oh, that's good. Because what's happening is we're not getting that morning serotonin that's turning into melatonin. And Mm -hmm. also the bright lights at night from our phones and our TVs are suppressing Mm -hmm. melatonin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. interesting. That's so interesting. That's an interesting connection. So, okay, this brings me to a question. So what does your routine look like? Like your daily routine? Are you like getting the kids outside for breakfast in the morning? Or like, how are you getting exposed <laughs> that exactly. early light? Like, Let me tell you my ideal routine. My ideal I, routine, yeah, we've yeah. been going to the gym. So this is a new thing. So my cool. ideal routine, this is a new thing for us. I've got teenagers and, you know, teenagers were dealing with puberty and just a oh lot of... Don't even tell me. I want to be surprised. I can't. And, well, it's good, but I, this is something that actually has become a thing that's a non-negotiable. Like we need to get, we need to sweat. Mm. And so this is part of our routine and there's a place by us that's great. It's got a little track and the kids have a class and the teachers are great for the littler kids. So this is our routine. So ideally we would be there from like, you know, 6.30 to 8, come home, shower, go for a walk in the neighborhood and get out for 20 minutes, one mile. And then we would come back in and, you know, do schoolwork, breakfast, that type of thing. Schoolwork does not take very long if you have just your own kids because you're not having to juggle a whole classroom and that type of Mm. thing. And if you wait, so, you know, school does not take us six hours. It takes two to three. Mm. And then our afternoon ideally would be spent like either socially uh, with meeting up with friends at a park or our you know, we do have some sports and our kids are in high yeah. school. So like we've got basketball practice or something like that. So, mm-hmm. or there's other things in the evening. So that would be our ideal routine. It's different every day. Cause like occasionally I've got a podcast or, you mm-hmm. know, this kid's got an, an appointment or, or whatever like that, but that's our ideal typical daily routine. Got it. Okay, cool. So, cause I feel like with those studies, it's like first thing in the morning, you want to get that natural sunlight into your eyes, but I mean, even in Southern California, it's still like winter here. So like the sun and like, when are we getting that in? I guess it's probably close to like 645 or 7 a.m. Yeah, my midwife always said before before noon and that gave me a lot of freedom because Mm. I do see the people that are like, see the sunrise. Like there's definitely that, but we're not in that stage of life. And I notice that if I get outside before noon, I feel better and I'm tireder at night. Mm. So, you know, that's something that we didn't used to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't used to prioritize that. Like as a homeschool family, it can be really easy to get up, do all your schoolwork, be done by noon or one, and then go outside. And so we've tried to infuse like a little bit of a morning walk. Sometimes it goes a little bit longer. But if you've got kids in school, like so many people say, one of the best things to do if you can is walk to school or walk mm. part of the way to school. So yeah. Katie Bowman, she always has the most practical ideas. She's like, listen, she's like, look, maybe you can't walk to the library or maybe you don't live in a spot of, you know, whatever. You're not in some city and you can't. She's like, so just like drive most of the way and then walk <laughs> the rest. I'm like, that's kind of a really fun idea. I yeah. like that. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think there are so many ways to get creative. And one of the things that you guys offer even with, a thousand hours outside is you've even charted like how to achieve a thousand hours outside with a school schedule or if you live somewhere cold um you it's like you don't I feel like people get really linear they're like I have to be outside for four hours a day it's like well in the winter maybe you shoot for two hours and in the summer you shoot for six like thinking yeah. around you know things and and allowing yourself to be flexible and like you said if you're just trying to shoot your shot and like get outside more 
you're going to do that if you're paying attention to it and you're tracking it, even if you're like, and I feel like as an adult, it's really been freeing to be like, it's so my best is, is enough. It's okay to fail. It's okay to fall short of a thousand hours. I'm not going to look back and regret 800 hours or 400 hours. I'm going to maybe be motivated to be like, if I can do 10 more hours next year, that's better, you know, and see where your Uh pain points are. And like, work through your pain points as opposed to not getting started and never even knowing what's hard about it and what's yes okay yeah okay so this is data and i've learned a lot from john acuff who's written a bunch of books about goals he says some beats none which is amazing Mm. but data helps you live a better life and i think in a world where our time is sucked into so many screen type things it's easy for our lives to kind of fall into that and then we have no data. So, so for example, I actually made the goal last year because we've been doing a thousand hours outside for 10 years. So we had this 10 year thing and I was struggling with, this is something that happens is when your kids are out of that diaper nursing stage, you all of a sudden start to have a little bit more time and you don't totally know what to do with it. And it can be confusing. So like a lot of my time was going towards sitting. So I was like podcasting and doing this computer work and I was feeling crummy. So I'm like, this is the 10 year anniversary of 1000 hours outside. I'm going to aim to walk a thousand miles last year. And I, I mean, I botched it so bad. I mean, Mm. I think I, I, I missed the tracking of some of it and I just, I could not get into a rhythm of it. And I think I was like, my chart had 300 something hours in it for the entire year. And I was shooting for a thousand, but this year I have sort of figured it out. And Mm. like, I have walked, you know, I don't know. I haven't added it up for January yet and I haven't hit three miles every day, but I'm probably at like you know, three, I don't know, I should have added this up a while ago, but I've got a ton of these here where three miles, four miles, five miles. So in time, a little bit of data helps you to create the life that you want to have. Totally agree. And you know what? I've seen this. This is going to maybe sound weird at first, but like with sourdough bread baking. So this year I finally got all this information around basically like definitively why store-bought bread is garbage, even though you'll buy sourdough bread and like there's yeast in it among millions of other preservatives. It's bizarre. But I had tried keeping a sourdough starter alive for like three years before it was cool. I remember actually I was getting into sourdough like before 2020. It was like 2017 or something. And I couldn't get into a rhythm with it. And I was like, it's because I have little kids. It's because I'm into gardening or whatever. My life is busy, blah, blah, blah. And then I finally... I just never quit. I just kept trying to pick it up. I kept failing. I kept starting one from scratch, getting one handed down to me. And then I finally realized, like I do with most things, cooking, like throw away the rule book, follow the rules as best you can to understand it and then develop your process. So now I've got my starter in the fridge and I got into this rhythm and I bring it out and I feed it and then I give it 24 hours and then I got to bake my bread the next day. And even if I flub it, I can get away with less folding and stretching than anybody says you need. Like you just figure it out and then you're like, all of a sudden I've baked every single loaf of bread for the past six weeks. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, four years ago, I w- I did one loaf and I couldn't keep anything alive. But over time, I feel like you do learn to iterate. You learn to habit stock. You learn to give yourself grace where you need it. And then you develop that beautiful cadence that just like works for you. And I think people... And you learn that it's yeah. worth it. You yeah. learn that you prize that. You're like, okay, you know, I like this bread and this really matters. And so it just takes time over a period of years to like figure out how you want to live. And by being intentional about things, whatever that is, whether that's getting outside or gardening or the way that you cook, you start to build this beautiful life that you really want. And we only get one shot at it. Yeah. So it matters. And data helps us to make small changes, even if for a very long period of time, you feel like you're kind of floundering. Totally. Oh, my God. Okay. This was such an incredible conversation. I could keep chatting for literal hours. You've mentioned a ton of great books, which I'm going to link in the show notes and also buy. I have a ridiculous stack of books. Like I've got to get this figured out. But what is, if there's something that you haven't mentioned, what's one more book that you just feel like people have to read? Okay, I'm going to give you two. Okay, okay. Because I'm just going to. my my The book that changed my life as it relates to gardening, so I think this is the most applicable, is mm. called Roots, Shoots, Buckets, and Boots by Sharon oh, Lovejoy. And yes, it is a phenomenal book. I 
I wanted to garden so bad and I was just scared and I had bought so many books and I was like trying to understand it and I couldn't really grasp it. And then my midwife, that's she's like the answer to everything. She told me about that book and mm-hmm. it is the most enchanting, charming book that I own. I think it's another one that every family should have. It is a book about gardening with kids and what she does and she illustrates it. She makes it so whimsical that you're like, I don't care about the nitty gritty. I just want to make a garden of giants. Like I want to yeah. make, I want to plant this huge pumpkin. I want to make a sunflower house. Yeah. I want to make a pizza garden. And be, she, she, t- she takes it and reframes it. Yeah. Where, is, where instead of being like, I, I can't understand this. You're like, oh my goodness, I cannot live one more year without having this garden that attracts moths at night. You know, and they're all different and it's so precious. And she talked about the easiest thing to garden with kids. And that is what got me started on gardening was that that book. And it changed my life. My second book I'm going to say is a novel because I think that reading fiction uh, is life-changing too. Like, um, you know, I was trying to include in my life just more analog time, less time on screens. Yeah, and so I incorporated fiction into my life last year more intentionally. And my favorite book is called The Great Alone Ooh. by Kristen Hanna, The Great Alone. Ooh. And it's phenomenal. It is a okay. phenomenal story. Like, you will love it. If you're wanting to try and include a little bit more fiction, you can listen to it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I just love that book so much last year. And I think that a little bit of fiction, I, I try and read three chapters a day of something. Mm. And that adds up to a lot. No, totally does. Oh my gosh, you are so inspirational, so knowledgeable, and just make it all feel doable and approachable. And I'm just so grateful for the work that you do and that you've put this out there Um, and like really walked the walk. And I'm just, you're such a gift. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Bailey. This has been so fun. And I'm so excited about your book. I need to know more about this whenever you're starting to put that out into the world. I cannot wait. That sounds absolutely like a thrill. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We will talk soon. Thank you so much for joining me for this incredible episode with Jenny. I wanted to just pop in and remind you guys and urge you to go check out her website at 1000hoursoutside.com. You can find her there on Instagram as well. And they actually have this insanely incredible app. The app is super, super helpful for tracking your 1000 hours, but they also have a ton of other good information on there. And they also have a best-selling book. All of that will be linked in the show notes. Just wanted to go ahead and plug that there because I know you guys are going to be looking for this incredible information. I hope you loved Jenny's message as much as I did. We all are now like racing outside to do the good things. So thanks for being here. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.